As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. When someone in your organization can become a multimillionaire, sure, they did the work, but you were there as a coach to help them, inspire them, influence them. And that's all you can do as a coach, right? You can't do the work for them. As a loyal Best Ever listener, you know that it's important that we as entrepreneurs focus on managing our time effectively, which is why we're always looking for ways to automate the basic duties of our business so that we can focus more time on our money-making activities. That's why I want to introduce you to Rentler.com. At Rentler, landlords and property managers can perform all their duties in one place. Rentler offers tools that allow you to automate tasks like listing a unit for rent, finding and screening tenants, collecting rent, and managing the maintenance requests. And even better, these tools are offered at zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever to get started today. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Ramon Gonzalez. How you doing, Ramon? Awesome. Excited to be here. All right. Well, excited to have you on the show. A little bit about Ramon. He is the chief investment officer at Summit Home Buyers. He is really 100% relationship-based and looking to continue to form and nurture long-term relationships with partners. The primary focus of his company now is lending their own capital that they made through fix and flips and multifamily transactions to other operators that share the same core values based in Miami, Florida. With that being said, Ramon, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. I had a corporate background, General Electric, once I graduated, worked in Connecticut for a little bit, left the corporate environment, started doing multifamily with a partner in Connecticut, then moved back down to Miami. I wasn't able to do that multifamily model. Numbers down here in 06 didn't really work for that. And thank God they didn't. We did a lot of wholesale and fix and flip in that time frame. And then we got out of most of the assets at that time frame. And then we throughout that whole cycle, we just fixed and flipped and made some money like that. And then kind of bottom of the cycle again, we started picking up assets, held them as well as fix and flip throughout the cycle. And we just kind of exited the majority of our assets last year and this year. And now transition just to the lending business is what we've been doing. Lending, JV, transactional funding with great operators. We find that that's been our unique ability, our niche. We were good operators. And as I start to mastermind and and connect with folks where that really is their passion, their unique ability, they're just better. 
and kind of I focus on what I'm great at, connecting people, adding value, running masterminds, helping these guys really take their business to the next level. And I'm a lot more happy and I have a lot more time and I kind of go where I'm celebrated, not where I'm tolerated. No, I've never heard it put that way. Did you create that? No, I actually heard it from part of my mastermind, but I love it. It's so simple, but it's really true, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's really this concept from Dan Sullivan from The Strategic Coach. He talked about identifying a unique ability. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs or investors, I think there's a big difference here. They don't know what they want. They don't know what they're great at. They're not really self-aware. And then you kind of resign to a life of kind of like doing a lot of different things, but not really knowing what you're passionate at, what you naturally do easily. Like for you, Joe, I can tell that doing these podcasts, something that just, I think you have a, from listening to your podcast, you have a partner on the multifamily business because you don't want to be day-to-day on the operation, right? Def- well, he's better at it than I am. That's what it boils down to. He has better experience than I do. And as you said, I recognize that I am a good operator, but I have a team member. I put him up against anyone else. So he takes the charge on that. And it takes putting your ego aside on that, you know? And a lot of guys kind of, when you let that ego run the show, it's no good. It's it's what's best for the team. And if there's somebody better that can do that, let's just put capital up with them and figure out how we do more together, right? Mm -hmm. And that's it. So with your business now, lending your own capital, You've evolved that, and I want to focus the majority of our time on that, but I would like to backtrack a little bit just to learn a little bit more about your background. You said you were doing multifamily in the Northeast when you were in your corporate background, GE, left that, and then you came to Miami. That model wasn't working, so you did fix and flipping, and it Mm -hmm. sounded like you were doing fix and flipping during 2008. Is that correct? Correct. Through 2008, 2009, maybe even 2010, 2010, 11, we saw the market kind of like start to correct some of the metrics I was tracking in terms of economic cycles. So my degrees in economics, I'm always had a passion for markets, market cycles. And I could just tell the market was turning, so we started buying and holding at that point in the cycle. It's not that we're that intelligent. We definitely forced some appreciation, but the market gave us a lot of that appreciation. And having been through my second cycle now, the market's done a lot of the heavy lifting for us, and I'm grateful for it. At the same time, I'm not taking credit for it. I think there's a lot of people out there saying, hey, I'm a genius, and the, the reality is the market, rising tide floats all boats, and I'm not taking credit for it. I know that the market did that work, and I did some of it, and yet the market did the heavy lifting for sure. So we took some profits, and then from those profits, we're not able to scale out the loan business and through our network as well. You said you were looking at the metrics and you're tracking the metrics. You got a degree in economics and you were focused on markets and different market cycles. For a best ever listener who is now in the fix and flip or, well, just an active real estate investor, and they want to look at the market cycle through the same lens that you are looking through, what should we be looking at? One of the key metrics I look at, probably if I had more than one key metric, it's probably a supply of inventory. So normal market is five and a half months, stable market. When the market corrected, that number went way up. So properties are sitting on, what that number means is how long would it take if no new inventory was brought to market to sell all the existing inventory? So when you have a number like, let's say, 15 or 16, the properties are sitting there. No one's really buying. So what you can do is come in there and buy the best deals. There's a lot of inventory just on the market. So as you see that number start to come down, you see uh, foreclosures start to come down, a lot of buyers come back on the market. Right when that starts to happen, that's when you want to start picking up these properties. So I call it seasons. You want to be buying in the spring. 
because summer's going to come and then fall's going to come and then eventually winter always comes. And again, winter's not a bad part. Like, oh, people freeze in winter. Yeah, but they also go skiing. So you can still make a lot of money in the winter, especially if you're in a coastal market. You just got to adjust your strategy. Mm -hmm. The month's supply of inventory, how can I find that? All the realtor boards report that. So your local realtor board reports that on copies that trade. When they report new listings, new inventory, you can also look at days on market, how long the current property is sitting on the market. You can track all the data there. The big one is month supply. I like to be in a market where if we're fixing, flipping, where there's very little inventory and the little inventory that comes on market moves very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. So like right now, Fort Lauderdale, which is the market above Miami, for single family houses has about four months supply, whereas Miami has a little closer to six. So if I had a choice between two properties or two counties, I'd rather be in Fort Lauderdale, they're just moving faster. And then the other thing you want to look at is what price points things are moving. Sometimes under three or $400,000 in these markets, no one's building. So you want to go with a ton of demand and very little supply. Mm -hmm. Now you can move inventory faster, but the moment you get over Four or 500000 affordability becomes an issue. Things sit on the market longer. There's softening in the pricing. Days on market goes up. So you can be strategic with what you're, you know, be strategic in terms of this is a business. And when you take on investor capital, we don't take that lightly at all. We've never had to file bankruptcy, never not pay someone on time. Again, and it's not that we're like so great. It's that we've been able to just really be conservative in our numbers and do what you say you're going to do and be strategic. You were a multifamily investor initially, and then you went fix and flip. And, and then we started picking up both singles and multis and doing both and fix and flip to generate the income to buy and hold. Okay, perfect. So since you have a background in both single families and multifamilies, does the month supply of inventory metric apply to multifamily purchases the same way it applies to single family purchases? Not as much. Multifamily is more job growth. It's a different metric. So there's a website called IRR.com. They provide a lot of great data on multifamily, commercial, where things are at in the economic cycles. And even what they call things are different, right? They call it recovery, expansionary, whether the market's in hypersupply. What they track is different on the multifamily and commercial side. IRR tracks all those markets. It's one thing we use. So in the multifamily space, I like to buy early recovery, and up to late expansion. I think that's where a lot of the rent increases and everything else, a lot of the value add is in that space from the market. And then you can refire, do what you want to do. If you want to hold it through the down cycle, you definitely can as long as the property is cash flow. So one of the great things about multifamily, and yet if your expectation is to have a lot of high appreciation from the market appreciation during a down cycle, I think that cap rates are definitely going to increase during that down cycle. So I think a lot of people are going to get squeezed if they're buying at high basis right now. And there's no value add. So now let's talk about your current business. You're lending capital to operators that share the same core values. I'm repeating what I have in my notes here for your bio. So I'm assuming those are your words. Is that right? Yep. Okay, cool. So what are the same core values that you're looking for? At the high level are that they're loyal, right? Loyal is important to us, that they think long-term, that they're relationship-based, so if someone reaches out to me and says, hey, let's do a deal together, and they're like, all right, well, what are your rates and what are your points? I want them to win, and they also want to want us to win. So our loan portfolio right now is going to be 10 or 15 different borrowers, and we, can do, we go deep with a few guys versus wide with a little bit of guys. Our goal is to help them do more and make more, and ultimately, how do we do more together? So that they think long-term. They got to want to grow. 
a lot of folks are okay doing a couple of deals here, a couple of deals there. That's not what we want. Most of our guys are doing anywhere from five to 10 deals a month, maybe more, depending on the market, depending on what the strategy is. But they can consistently keep a fair amount of capital at play and still keep liquidity high. So high level, that's what we look for. Integrity, think long-term, that they invest in themselves. They're always growing. When stuff happens, Joe, in this business, that they tell me about it, that they're vulnerable and open up and say, hey, you know what? There's an issue here. This is taking longer than what I thought or whatnot. And as long as we have those core values together, and really the biggest one is that if something went wrong, they'll do whatever it takes being resourceful, take a job at Burger King, whatever it takes to actually pay us back. How do you evaluate for the Burger King example? How do you determine that someone has that? characteristic it's the hardest part joe because they asked jp morgan you look at a deal you look at an opportunity what do you look at most and his answer was character character and character and i couldn't agree more and it takes time to know someone's character right because character is tested when it's a fan right that's when character is tested so i'm in a lot of high level masterminds i spent a lot of time with the operators and you just start to see how they do things you start to see how they treat their people you start to see how they treat a waiter i run a background search obviously but at the same time, I want to see the background search. I actually like that they have something all the bankruptcy in the past or been through something. I actually prefer that because I know that they've been through it. My thing is not that you've been through stuff, but what did you do about it? How did you treat your people? So really time. I look at the integrity. I look at how they do things. And really, I look to see how open and vulnerable they are with what's going on in their business. Because all of us being entrepreneurs, there's challenges we have. Hiring people, scaling out the business, emotional challenges, right? For a holistic being, relationship side. So if someone's looking for help and they realize that there's an issue and they're open and vulnerable and coachable, that tells me a lot about somebody. Speaking of challenging stuff that you and I and everyone else have come across as real estate investors, I'm sure, what's a challenging moment you've had in your business? Oh, wow. I've had all sorts of challenging moments. I think the most challenging thing as an entrepreneur, I differentiate entrepreneur with an investor. So entrepreneur is someone who wants to build out a business, hire people, create staff, process and systems. And they're the transactional side of the business. And to me, an investor is someone, hey, you've got capital, you put capital at play. So when we do more of the loan piece, that's more of the investor piece, even though we are active in growing that business, yet it is, hey, we're putting capital at play for our return, that's more of an investor. When we were doing a lot of the fix and flip transactions and in that space, do some JV deals in that space, the hardest part, I think, about being a business owner is bringing someone on board, training them, making sure that their core values are aligned with the companies, and then really helping them grow and some of the worst parts is letting someone go. I care so much about my team and bringing people on staff that sometimes it doesn't work. You do everything you can. We talk great when we hire people and everything else. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. And then sometimes you go to three or four people, five people, and it can definitely be frustrating and, um, and a little bit discouraging. At the same time, I've had employees come on staff starting at $30,000, become multimillionaires through our organization. And outside of my daughter and my wife, Maybe even the masterminds, it's the single biggest thing that I'm most grateful and proud of is when someone in your organization can become a multimillionaire, sure, they did the work, but you were there as a coach to help them, inspire them, influence them. And that's all you can do as a coach, right? You can't do the work for them, but it sure is gratifying. If you can think about one of those individuals who came into the organization making 30 and then became a multimillionaire, what transactions did they do to get them to be a multimillionaire? They were always very upfront about saying, hey, whatever you guys are doing, I want to start doing some of this as well. If you can teach me, I'm here to learn, and I'll take less of a salary, but I want to learn everything you guys are doing. 
and they're willing to pick up tasks on the weekends or willing to pick up extra work. So they didn't limit themselves to that role. They're really almost like a partner, like whatever was needed from them, they were willing to do. And then us as the organization, me as a leader, like if we came across a deal and rather than sell it to the market, and even though we're going to make a substantial profit, this person in our organization was willing to defer gratification. And she said, look, I'll buy this deal at this number. And again, she saw what was happening with the market. She picked up a few condos. And as the market increased in value, she started refinance, recapitalizing, and continue to save. And again, defer gratification and just follow the footprints we were doing. She followed off all our property management systems, how to find properties, how to do direct mail. Like she figured all those pieces out on her own. And she was very intentional with saying, look, I'm not going to compete with you. I'll do this in the county or I'll do this in the MLS. And I was totally on board. I knew she wasn't going to become wealthy by working for us. And I'm, I'm so proud of her. Even to this day, she is family. I only had one employee do that. She isn't my family, but she is family. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I hear it. And I'm, I'm sure she'd say the same thing about you. That's for darn sure. So basically, it was a method of buying condos, them appreciating in value, refinancing out the proceeds and using those proceeds to put into new deals. That's it. Wow, it's great just, stuff. Just, yeah, just being persistent. Just continuing to persevere and not bang your head against the wall. And there's people out there like that, and you can change your lives. So as an entrepreneur... Outside of the profits and everything else, the money's temporary. I think that's the single biggest impact that you could do as an entrepreneur is the lives of the people you touch. Based on your experience as a real estate investor and entrepreneur, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? When you look at a deal or you look at an opportunity, identify if it's an opportunity or distraction based on your unique ability. So what is it that you're uniquely great at? What is it that you're here to do? There's a thousand doors to financial freedom. What is your thing that you have a unique gift at? And then follow that course to your financial freedom path. It's going to be different for you than it's going to be. Don't let them copy anybody else. Listen to them, take advice, but find your unique way. Find out what you're great at and then double and triple down on that. And that's going to be your unique way to financial freedom. Powerful. Powerful. I'm going to repeat what you said, the best ever advice, and then I'll recap it later because it definitely needs to be mentioned again. Identify if it is an opportunity or distraction based on your unique ability. I always talk about identifying the unique ability that we have and leveraging that, but I never thought about assessing it based on new opportunities and seeing if it's a distraction or if I can leverage what I'm doing. That's great stuff. Awesome. I'm happy to add value to your listeners. I think what you're doing is amazing and it's definitely needed, man. I think you're creating a huge impact and I'm really proud of you, man. Well, I appreciate that. And we're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I am. I'm ready. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. You looking for a one-stop landlording software that helps you create listings, find and screen tenants, and accept rental payments while managing maintenance requests? Oh, by the way, it's zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever. Adam Adams has one of the most active meetup groups in the world. I've personally been to one of his meetups and Adam packed that house with over 80 investors at lunch and another 60 on the waiting list. Find out the exact six things he did to create one of the top meetups on the planet by texting the word meetup to 555-888. Okay, best ever book you've read? Best ever book I've read. I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with Unique Ability by Dan Sullivan. Oh, man. Okay. I did not know that was an actual book. I will check that out. Best ever deal you've done that wasn't your first and wasn't your last? Best ever deal I've done uh, was an 18-unit deal we purchased in Miami, Little Havana, upcoming neighborhood. 
We thought we were buying it high, came in there, we did the whole thing and sold it and netted about a million dollars on it. Why did you buy it if you thought you were buying it high? I didn't really know the market and I didn't really know the pocket that it was at and how good the pocket was. It wasn't until later a Marcus and Millichap broker, him and I are great friends, told me, you don't understand how good of a quality location the corner this was and what was going on in the area. I thought it was a good deal, but yet the area and everything else really... I was able to get higher rents. I was able to get better quality people just because the exact corner where it was at, it was still in the hot spot. It was still in a touristy area. And I didn't know that, but I was right on the fringe of that. Had I been on the other side of the street, a completely different property. So just goes to show you know the areas because that building generated an extra couple hundred thousand rent a month. And it filled up a lot faster just because I could, where I was at, I could justify the rent increase and I could justify the extra value and the improvements. And someone was willing to pay for that. Whereas on the other side of the street, they wouldn't. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that we haven't talked about already? A mistake I made, we purchased an 84-unit building in Baton Rouge. It was in a D area. It was a half-property contract. The whole building had like a Section 8 subsidy, and we weren't equipped to handle that kind of asset. We didn't have the infrastructure. We didn't have the know-how, and we got our butts handed to us. How much did you lose? I wrote off $364,000 last year. Just last year, so I imagine it was more than that? off the whole thing so we had bought this in 07 so at the peak of the market 06 and just recently i just wrote off the rest of it um, luckily we had a lot of gains from the other things so we were able to kind of like tax harvest that but it still sucks you know <laughs> if presented a similar opportunity now what would you look at differently that you didn't look at before just knowing that unique ability and sticking that to that it wasn't a unique ability. Like, I don't do a lot of Section 8 stuff. All I'm missing an operator that does Section 8 stuff, if that's all they do. So I have an operator now who I just funded today, actually, and they do a lot of turnkey Section 8 stuff. But that is all they do. They don't do anything but that. They do C minus D stuff. They have a real turnkey model. They have scale. And then I'll do that through them. But that wasn't a unique ability for us. Really, stay in your lane. What's the uh, best ever way you like to give back? The best thing I've been doing to give back is my mastermind. So... I run masterminds, uh, high-level investors come in, different spaces of the real estate, whether it's mobile home parks, self-storage, whatever it is, or fix and flip, business owners, entrepreneurs. And I look to just really connect people together, connect amazing people together, share core values, and how do we do more together? And uh, that's the best thing I do to give back is the power of masterminds and getting together with like-minded people and just collaborating. How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? You can go to MiamiMillionaireMastermind.com. That's my website. You can find out more info there if you're interested in masterminding. I'm on Facebook. I do a weekly Facebook Live within real estate. I help people become financially free. One of my moonshot, I got that from Naveen Jain, is to help 100 million people become financially free. How many people? 100 million. That's what I thought I heard you say. Yes, do that. <laughs> please do that. I'm kind of speechless. Do that, please. That would be incredible. Thank you so much, Ramon, for being on the show. It's a sprinkle of real estate and a dash of mindset and i think that's the approach to take in our business because mindset is critical to what we do but we also talk specifics about deals and lessons learned and as i mentioned earlier i'm a huge fan of what you said identify if something is an opportunity or a distraction based on our unique ability and sounds like a good book to read on that is Unique Ability by Dan Sullivan. And thank you for talking about 
your thought process as someone who studied economics. Month's supply of inventory for single families and then for multifamilies, it's more job growth. And you gave a reference or a resource, IRR.com. Great website. They have an annual report. I believe it's an annual report. That's really That's good. Amazing. Too. Yes, yeah, it is amazing. Show. So thanks so much for being on the show. Really grateful you're on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. Adam Adams has one of the most active meetup groups in the world. I've personally been to one of his meetups and Adam packed that house with over 80 investors at lunch and another 60 on the waiting list. Find out the exact six things he did to create one of the top meetups on the planet by texting the word meetup to 555 888.